Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. I'm here to begin a new series for us this evening, which is really cool. This is the the series, as it says on the screen, that is going to take us into Christmas. It's called Love Came Down. And what we're doing, we're kind of taking these, uh, these fun, slightly nerdy biblical words. And I, yeah, nerdy biblical words are fun. And we're digging into them and kind of unpacking them. And what we discover is that when we kind of dig beneath the surface, that these nerdy biblical words really just reveal the love of God, which is really cool. So the, the four talks we're going to have in this... Oh, yes. Clicker doesn't work this bit. Can we just do... There we go. So this week we're talking about covenant, the nerdy word covenant. Uh, next week, Andy Starr is going to be talking about Trinity, which is really fun. It's something I think we mention a lot in church, but I don't know if I've ever actually heard someone explain the Trinity in a church service. So that's going to be really cool. Uh, 22nd of December, Andrew Harvey, the other Andrew in the series, is going to be talking about eternity, which is really fun. Then on the 24th of December, which you might notice is not a Sunday, we're having our 11 p.m. Christmas Eve service. We're going to sort of wrap it all up by talking about the incarnation, what it means that Jesus came, the incarnation of God himself. So it's going to be a really fun series. Uh, And there are two things that I hope we kind of get out of this. The first one is love is one of those words, isn't it, that we kind of, like I can say I love my wife and I can also say I love pizza. And and it's the same word, but they mean really different things, don't they? Um, And so I'm hoping that I can sort of rescue this concept of God's love uh, so that we get like a little bit more of a sense of what we mean when we say or when we sing that God loves us. Um, and the second thing is that as we're approaching uh, Christmas, where we celebrate the birth of Jesus, my hope is that uh, by talking about, uh, by unpacking some of these kind of biblical threads or themes, incredibly, when we get to Christmas, we have a whole lot of new context for understanding how incredibly significant it is that Jesus came in the flesh, that God himself became flesh, was born as a baby, uh, and came to save the world. So that's what we're hoping to get out of this. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, But tonight, we are talking about covenant. That was really well-timed. Nice one, Zach. So massive shout-out to Zach. He's on take for the first time tonight. And we've given him, like... Lovely enthusiasm. We've given him, like, I've given him the most nightmare of a job. I've got, like, a PowerPoint and then a Prezi, and we had a video, and then he's got a specific song he has to play later. You're just you're crushing it, man. Thank you. Um, so, covenant uh, is what we're talking about tonight. What exactly is a covenant? I'm not going to quite define it for you yet, because it's, it's a word that we hear in the Bible a lot, but it doesn't really make sense if we define it within a Western context. I think it really helps when we go back and understand what people would have meant when they used this word uh, a long time ago. And so I want to frame the word covenant in terms of the story of, of the whole Bible. So the Bible starts, if you open up to the first page of the Bible, you read about how this God created the world. He created the universe, the stars, um, he created the seas, he created the land, 
all living things and a special job with creatures that he called humans. And he gave the humans a really special job, which was basically to be the kind of intermediate people between God and this world that he had created. Now, things didn't go super well. I mean, they went well for a little while, but things kind of fell apart. The humans sort of rebelled. They, told, they did the only thing that God told them not to do. There was some influence from a snake. And, uh, and they kind of they get cast out of the garden. And this relationship that God had designed humans to exist in was broken. And so we have this period of time between when humanity is cast out of the garden and when God kind of picks up the story where humanity has no relationship with the God that created them. It's kind of hard for us to imagine because we've grown up in this, every single one of us has been born into a society that sort of knows at least something about this God. But at this point, there is no relationship between God and his, cre- and, and his created people. That's not to say that he's not still working, because in his grace, uh, you know, it's by his grace that we breathe in and out. But there is no relationship. But the good news is God has kind of like a re-entry plan. He's got a way that he's mapped out that he's going to come back to his creation, to the people that rejected him, and he's going to um, re-establish that relationship, and win back what was lost at the garden and more. And the way that God does this is he, it's kind of curious, rather than just sort of turn up and go, I'm God, here I am, he, he forms these partnerships um, with different people. And we read about these different partnerships throughout the scriptures. It starts with a partnership with just one man, his name's Abraham. And then, uh, and then we kind of move on through the Bible, and then we see he partners with this, uh, this nation that's called Israel. And then when we get into the New Testament, we discover that actually God's partnership now is with all humanity. These partnerships call on his name. And the way that God establishes these partnerships is through a thing called a covenant. So covenants um, are these, they're kind of these agreements. It's like a partnership agreement. That's probably the best way to think about it. And typically, when you have a covenant, it's going to include some mix of some of the following things. Uh, so, for example, let's say that uh, I, want to, I want to rent a house uh, you know, or, or a townhouse. Uh, there's, a, there's one online that I really like the look of. And so I say, yep, I'd love to rent this townhouse. So what happens is uh, there's the person who owns the house or their agent, okay, in our case, Um, there's us who want to rent the house, and we'll sit down with them, and they'll say, okay, what are the benefits of this agreement? The benefits are you get to live in this house, you get to store your stuff here, you get to have people over, that's that sort of thing. But unfortunately, there are conditions to this agreement, so we have to pay the owner of the house a lot of money every fortnight so that we can stay there. Um, There's a penalty clause, which is what happens if the conditions of this agreement aren't met. And so the penalty clause is that we get kicked out and all that stuff gets thrown out of the house. Um, Some covenants will also have a sign. So, for example, something that proves that the covenant was made. Um, And in our case, we we got this really long document with small writing with lots of little yellow stickers that say sign here and lots of our signatures and the real estate agent's signatures as well. And then the final thing is a scope. What is the scope of this covenant? Who does it apply to? In this case, it applies uh, to us, to me and Jen, 
uh, and our the the uh, landlord. So that's what a covenant sort of is, and that's there's some of the features that we find of a covenant. So what I want to do now is I want to give us a really brief whip through the five covenants that we find in the Bible. And you guys can pull up the present now if you like. Um, we're going to look at uh, these five covenants that we find in the Bible. And I'm going to go through them uh, quite quickly to start off with because I don't want to keep us uh, till 7.30. But um, we, my hope is that in tracing this thread of covenant uh, through the, particularly the Old Testament, but also look at how they're fulfilled in the New Testament, that we'll see this story, we'll see how it was crafting from the very beginning of his re-entry plan. Uh, and we'll see how that fits together, and it gives us this new context for understanding what exactly Jesus did for us. So, it's also worth mentioning that the word uh, testament is, can also be translated as covenant. So the Bible is typically thought of as two testaments, but you could also say the Old Covenant the New Covenant, interchangeable. So if you go into the Old Testament, you'll find four covenants. And you don't actually have to read very far past the fall before you get to the first one. Now, many of you might have come across the story of Noah, Noah's Ark. Um, if you, you're like me and you didn't uh, grow up in Sunday school, you might have seen a rendition of it in The Simpsons um, and some other places like that. But the short version of this story is... Uh, Humanity's not doing very well. They kind of got booted out of the garden, and things like continue to go downhill from there. And God basically says, "I'm going to perform like a a global turn it off and on again, um, and I'm going to send a flood that's going to kind of wipe out everything, and we're going to start this thing again, and hopefully things can start to get a little bit better from there." But He says to this guy Noah, "I want you to build a really big boat, get lots of animals." Uh, and then when the rains come, you'll be okay, and you'll be like the new first people. So exactly that happens. Noah builds the ark. Animals come on. God sends the rain. The whole earth, the surface of the, the earth is wiped out, and then the rains subside. Uh, Noah is okay, and he, him and his family sort of start again. And it's at this point, so the, it's at this point in the story that God comes to Noah and he makes this covenant. And the, the, uh, the nature of the covenant is this. First of all, he says, and we, you read about it in Genesis 9 if you want to check out the facts a little bit more closely. But first of all, the covenant is with not just Noah and his family, but actually with all humanity and all of the creation. Again, the benefits of the covenant is that God basically says, I'm never going to, again, going to send a flood that is going to destroy everything. Now, that might seem like sort of fairly normal social behavior. Um, and I'm not going to go into the details of why this is really significant. But what I want you to take away from this is that this is the point where God says, I am not out for your destruction. I'm out for your redemption. It's a real turning point in the Bible, and it's very significant. Um, interestingly, there actually aren't any conditions, and there is no penalty clause. So in some ways, it's more of a promise in a covenant, it doesn't fit neatly into this sort of uh, these criteria that I set out. Um, but the Bible uses the word covenant very clearly, and so this is God's first covenant with all humanity. And the sign, uh, which is a very cute story, the sign is a rainbow. So whenever we see a rainbow, it reminds us of God's promise to Noah. So that's our first covenant. Second covenant we come across 
is uh, not actually that much further through the Bible, just another, uh, another eight chapters on. And this is the covenant, covenant that God makes with a guy called Abram, who he renames to Abraham. Uh, so it, it's kind of curious, actually. I, I mentioned earlier, so God has no relationship with humanity at this point in the story. God comes to this guy, Abraham, who lives in a town called Ur, They have no previous relationship, and God sort of taps him on the shoulder and says, I want you to leave everything you have. I want you to leave your family, your city, your culture, and I want you to follow me to a place that I'm going to show you. He doesn't even tell him where it is. He just says, you're going to go to a place I'm going to show you, and it's going to work out well for you. And he does. I don't know if I would have done that, uh, but Abraham does, or Abram at this point does. And as part of this going, God makes a covenant with Abraham. So the scope of this covenant is it's for Abraham and his descendants. But as part of this covenant, it's not just Abraham and his descendants that are going to be blessed. Give you through them, all nations will be blessed. Uh, the benefits of this covenant, God says, I will give you land, um, the land that he's leading him to, and your descendants will outnumber the stars, which uh, it's curious to know, according to the Bible at this point, Abraham's 100 years old. And so that's a pretty incredible promise considering it comes true. The conditions, if you read verse 1, the conditions are very simple and not very clearly defined. All it says is that he needs to walk with God. Uh, Simple but important, and we're going to come back to that later. Um, The sign, which again, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about why this is the case, but the sign is circumcision of this covenant. Uh, And the penalty clause is that anyone who isn't circumcised will be cut off from the people of God, from Abraham's descendants. So that's the covenant that God makes, which is number two. Now, we skip, we're, we're kind of done with the covenants in Genesis, so the next one we come to is in Exodus. Now, I'm not going to go into heaps of detail about the story here, because we did a whole series on this at the beginning of the year. Um, but at the, start, or at the start of Exodus, the people of Israel, so Abraham's descendants that God made that covenant with, they wind up as a slave nation in Egypt. So things don't seem to be going particularly well for them. Um, But God comes and he takes the people out of slavery. He leads them through the sea, out the other side, crushes their enemies, and he forms them into a nation. And so this is the covenant that God makes with Moses. So the scope of this one, it's the whole people of Israel. So he turns them from just being a ragtag bunch of slaves who've come out, and he turns them into a nation called Israel. The benefits for them is that um, they become a nation, but more importantly, they become God's nation. For all the nations in the area, all the nations uh, on the earth, the one, the one that God has chosen is this nation Israel. And so you can kind of see how like, God's re-entry plan started with just Abraham, and it's grown now to be the nation of Israel. The conditions of this one are pretty significant after that. And most of the rest of Exodus, uh, and in fact, the next... Uh, three books of the Bible after that are talking about the conditions of this covenant, and we often call them the law. So when you read the first little part of the Bible and there's all these laws, that's what the conditions of this covenant are. Um, Now, I think it's really important to mention at this point that particularly if you've read some of the New Testament, you can get into this this kind of state of thinking that this, this old covenant that the the, the law is actually a bad thing. But you have to understand at this point, this is this random 
bunch of people who have grown up and lived in slavery. And the God who created all humanity has come to these people, has rescued them and said, I'm going to make you into a great nation and you're going to bless all the earth. So the law is act- it's not a bad thing at all. The law is actually incredibly significant to the Israelite people. It's the thing that defines their society. It's the law and order that they need. So actually, the law is a really, really good thing. So don't think it's a bad thing. The sign, this isn't super clear. There's a passage uh, later in Exodus that kind of suggests that the Sabbath um, is the sign of this covenant. For me, I kind of believe that God's very presence is the sign of this covenant as, um, as symbolized by the Ark of the Covenant, which rests in the tabernacle and temple. Um, if you want to talk about that later, we can go for it, but we're not going to go there now. Um, but the penalty clause, this is kind of, this is, this is really important. Uh, if you read on, you realize that the penalty clause of not following the law is that God would withdraw his blessing and his presence from the people. And so if you have a read of Deuteronomy 28, it goes into a little bit more detail about that. So when we talk about the law, or we talk about the old covenant, this is generally what we're talking about, this one here. This is the really significant one that really defines the nation of Israel. Then the final one, we read a bit further through the Old Testament. We get to two Samuels from the David. Um, and God makes a covenant with David, King David, who you might be familiar with from the David and Goliath story. Now, the context for this one's actually really interesting. So um, David has, uh, after a very long and difficult journey, established himself as the king over Israel. He sort of brought peace to the nation. And he's sitting in his, in his palace one day, and he looks out from the balcony, and he sees the tabernacle, which is the tent that Moses built in the desert to be kind of like the temple and the housing place for God's presence. And David says, you know, God, how is it that I'm living in a palace made of wood and stone, and you're living in a tent. And it's really interesting, because God's response, he kind of says, you know, David, I'm actually kind of happy living in a tent. But uh, there is going to come a day where one of your descendants will build a house for me um, that is way better than you could ever imagine. And um, oftentimes I've interpreted that to be talking about the temple that his son Solomon builds, um, but I actually reckon now that that's probably, he's probably talking about Jesus building the kingdom of God, which is kind of cool. Uh, what are, so what, what is this covenant um, that God makes with David? The covenant is, um, so he makes it with David and his descendants. He says, David, your throne, the lineage of your rulership over this nation will be established forever, which is a pretty bold claim. Um, the condition uh, of this covenant is the king's faithfulness, David's faithfulness and his successor's faithfulness to God. And we read more about that, particularly in Kings and Chronicles, we realize that a lot of the following kings aren't very good at doing that. The sign of this covenant is is having a king ruling over a kingdom. And the penalty clause we discover for the unfaithfulness of these kings is that the Israelite nation is sent into exile. Now, I think sometimes when we read about the Israelites in exile, we kind of miss how significant this is. Because think about these four promises, these four that God has made with his people. And when they end up in exile, it's pretty clear that something has gone wrong. And so what we find find is that by the end of the Old Testament, 
The nation of Israel has actually broken three out of the four covenants that God made with them. And the only covenant that they hadn't broken is the one that had no conditions to break. So what's going to happen? Well, when they're in exile, this, this guy comes along. His name's Jeremiah. He's a prophet. And he says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. So when the Israelites come back from exile, they're ready for this new covenant. And for 400 years, God is strangely silent. But then, in this kind of backwater town uh, called Bethlehem, a baby is born. And his name is Jesus. And God begins this process of forming the new covenant. And what we discover is that actually, uh, what, what we see is that Jesus comes and he's born into a people who'd broken three out of these four covenants. And he actually comes and fulfills all four of them. So we're going to look at how he does that. So first of all, how does Jesus fulfill Jesus with Noah? Well, it's really interesting. Often when you read about this concept of covenant, they don't talk about Jesus as fulfilling um, the covenant with Noah. But I love this passage, John 3, 17. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That, to me, sounds like a check for the covenant with Noah. So now we're not going to go in order. It's going to become apparent why shortly. Uh, this covenant with David, well, we find out right at the start of the first gospel that this Jesus can actually be traced directly back to the lineage of David. Uh, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so when Jesus becomes king of God's new kingdom, uh, which will last forever, then this covenant with David is fulfilled. Now, the, Mos- the, the Mosaic covenant, the covenant with Moses, The way in which this is fulfilled is fairly complex, and so I don't want to go through all of it now. If you really want to understand this, the book of Galatians will give you all of the details. But Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And I think sometimes when we read through the New Testament, we get the picture that Jesus kind of came along, he took the law, and he kind of put it to the side, and he's like, here's how we're going to do things now instead. But what Jesus says here doesn't really fit with that view. And so how does Jesus, what's the difference between abolishing and fulfilling the law? I want to give you a sort of a very incomplete analogy. So don't take this further than, than um, I do. But imagine that, imagine Tash, imagine that you employ me. You're the head of a company and you say, oh, Chris, I've got this really important project I want to do. And uh, and you know, here's, here's what you need to do. Here's what it's going to look like. You've got 12 months. Off you go. 
and it's, it's going to be great. And I'm like, fantastic. I love this. So I start working on this project, and it kind of goes well for a little while. I'm not really well a little bit. It, yeah, it kind of goes well for a little while, but then the, the wheels start to fall off a little bit. And then we get to December. I come in for my staff review, and, uh, and Tash says, oh, so how's the project going? And I'm like, well, not really good. I haven't finished it, and in fact, it's been a bit of a disaster. Two, so there's, there's kind of two options she has here, right? One of them is, which is probably the sensible option if you're running a business, business advice with Chris, uh, if, if you're in that situation, you probably say, well, look, we're just going to call off the project um, and don't come back in January. And, you know, which is, which is fair enough. I wouldn't blame you. If I'd completely mucked up this project, then that's a fair enough uh, thing to do. But that, and that's what it's kind of like to abolish the law. But what, what Jesus does is a bit different. What Jesus does to fulfill the law, it's kind of like Tash coming to me and saying, you know what, I noticed that that project wasn't going super well, so I've actually finished the project for you. I've actually completed every single part of it. Don't worry about it. Um, so the project's done, and I want you to start now with this fresh lease of life you have. I want you to start on part two. It doesn't really make sense, does it? But that's what Jesus does. He comes and he fulfills all of the requirements, not just the letter of the law, but he fulfills the spirit of the law. And in doing so, um, he, he, he kind of like rounds that off and gives us the ability to have freedom from it. Does that start to make sense? Don't take that analogy any further. So that's how, um, that's how Jesus fulfills the Mosaic covenant. Finally, the covenant with Abraham. Uh, this, one's, this one's really fascinating. I really like this. Uh, and you'll probably see why in just a moment. Um, I... I didn't give you all the story about the covenant uh, that God made with Abraham. And so it turns out this is actually the, the one covenant that sort of comes with a ceremony attached to it. Now, if, if I'm time seeing a house, then the ceremony that comes with that is we sit down in an office, we sign lots of times where the yellow stickers tell us to, and then we have a document that outlines the agreement. Uh, covenant ceremonies worked a little bit differently uh, back in the days of Abraham. And so we, we've actually got a little bit of time, so we're going to have a covenant ceremony right now. Okay, I need like probably six volunteers to come and be animals that get slaughtered. Yeah. Sam, yes, Pete, Sophie, come on up. I need like, yeah, Will, Lauren, one more. Tate, come on, okay. Yeah, Tate, come on. So I need you guys to stand three on this side, three on this side, and I need you to do, and so kind of like one, two, three... One, two, three, like that. Make some animal noises. Fantastic. Step back just a little bit. Just a little bit. A little bit more space. And um, do your best to look like you've been cut in half. I'm so glad we had time to do this. That's fantastic. Okay, okay, let's, let's do what Sophie's doing. So you all have to kind of, yeah, just kind of lie down. Okay. So the way that a covenant ceremony worked in these days is... It was generally made between like a king who just conquered a nation. And so I'm, I, was, I was the bad employee in the last analogy, so I'm going to be the king in this analogy. <laughs> so I've just, I've just conquered a nation, uh, which is, Max, can you be the king that I've conquered? You, just, you stay there just for the moment. And so the way that this covenant ceremony would go is that Max would take a bunch of animals from his flock. He would cut them in half. This is pretty gruesome, so 
you know, just warning you. Uh, Max would cut them in half, and he would arrange them with the two halves on either side, like kind of here and here and here, and there'd be kind of a line. So then we'd negotiate the terms of the agreements. Here are the benefits of our agreement. I'm not going to come and destroy your nation. Uh, in return, you need to pay us lots of taxes, uh, and it'll be great, and not run off and serve any other kings. Uh, so when we negotiated the terms of the agreement, Max, stand up, Max would walk through this line of cut-up animals as a way of saying, if I break the agreement, then I will become like these animals. It's a bit full-on, isn't it? Okay, you guys can all go and sit down now. Thank you. Can we give these guys a round of applause? I'm so glad I did the Old Testament bit fast enough to be able to get to that. That's really fun. So, what on earth does this have to do with the covenant with Abraham? Well, God actually does a little covenant ceremony with Abraham. God obviously being the sort of the one in authority and uh, Abraham being the other one. Uh, so I want to read to you from Genesis 15, uh, 9 to 12, and then we're going to skip from 12 to 17. So if you're reading along, that's why it kind of bounces. But. So the Lord said to Abraham, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all of these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey then came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. So you sort of get the scene. It's, we're sort of, we've got the animals, and we've got kind of God, and we're sort of waiting for the walking down bit. When the sun had set, this is starting from verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land, from Wadi of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. And then he goes on to describe the land that he was going to give to Abraham. What on earth just happened? What should have happened is that God was standing up the end of these cut-up animals, and Abraham should have walked towards God as a sign that his agreement with God uh, if he didn't follow it, if he didn't walk with the Lord, which remember is the, the one of like, this, this, this covenant, if he didn't walk with the Lord, then he would become one of, like one of these animals. Instead, we have this kind of random smoking fire pot uh, with a blazing torch passing between the pieces. I don't even know how that works, uh, but that's what happens. The two main images that we get for the presence of God throughout the scriptures are fire and smoke. And so what's just happened here is that God is up the end. There's the animals. God himself, God's own presence, comes between the animals so that Abraham doesn't have to. Do you see what's just happened here? God is saying, I am making this covenant with you. Here are all of the blessings that I'm going to pour out upon you, and all nations will be blessed through you. And if you stuff this up, if you get this wrong and break this covenant, then I will take the fall. If you stuff this up, I will take the fall. And so on the night that Jesus 
is having his last ever meal with his disciples before going to the cross. He says this. He takes bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do you see what's going on here? Jesus is saying, That covenant that God made with Abraham on day one of his re-entry plan back onto the earth, that covenant, I'm about to fulfill the penalty clause of that covenant. And in doing so, I am making a new covenant. It's a covenant where the scope is all humanity. The benefits, our relationship with God, the God that created us, that relationship that was broken in the garden is restored. Our identity, who we are, who we were created to be, that's restored. And we are given a new purpose and a new mission as the people of God, as his church. The only condition is that we trust in Jesus, trust in his death and resurrection. The sign that Jesus gave us is this meal that we partake in, where the bread is broken, is broken like like the animals up and down the side. His blood is poured out like the animals that were sacrificed. And the penalty clause of this new covenant, get this, the penalty clause of getting the new, us getting the new covenant wrong is that Jesus goes to the cross and he's already done that. Can you imagine another covenant, another agreement or contract where the person in the power seat will say, you know what, I'm going to invoke the penalty clause now at the start and I'm going to pay it. I cannot think of another situation where anyone would do that. So I want to finish by asking us a very simple question, which is why? Why would God do this? Why would he come to Noah and make this this promise instead of just leaving his creation and humanity for dead? Why did God choose this random guy from the town of Ur called Abraham and create a nation from him? Why did he choose a slave people, take them out of their captive nation and turn them into his chosen nation? Why did he speak to their king and say, I'm going to establish your line and your rule forever? Why did God, before the partner with us in this re-entry plan that he designed from before the creation of the world? Well, I want to suggest there is no logical reason that God would do these things. There's no logical reason that any of, anyone would do these things. But the only framework in which these covenants make sense, the only framework that helps us to get a sense of why God would do any of this is because of his love. It's because he loves us. It's because he loves us. It's because he loves us and there is nothing else. And so I hope as we begin this march onto Christmas, that understanding this helps us us to get 
why this Christmas event, why the coming of Jesus to the earth is so important. Jesus' arrival as a baby boy in a manger is literally the fulfillment of the whole of human history up to this point. And it's the beginning, it's the beginning of this new hope for this new covenant that God was creating with us, where he has already paid the price. He's already fulfilled the penalty clause. All we have to do is trust him and he will restore us to who we were meant to be in relationship with him. 